0: This is Glasgow Crime Stories. We dive into crime of the city's past in short episodes you can listen to anytime, anywhere. Back in 1952, the murder of young Betty Alexander sent shockwaves through Glasgow. Yet, despite every effort, the vicious individual behind the killing was never found. 70 years ago, The murder of a four year old girl prompted one of the biggest police investigations Glasgow has ever seen. The killing of Betty Alexander shocked a city that was still recovering from the horrors of the Second World War. Despite thousands of police man hours over the decades, it has thrown up few, if any, suspects. To this day, not a single person has been charged or stood trial for Betty's murder. At the time, It led to Scotland's biggest ever mass fingerprint screening, when more than a thousand local men over the age of 17 had their prints taken in a bid to find the killer. The last time little Betty was seen alive was on the afternoon of Tuesday, October 7th, 1952, having gone out to play with friends. She left her home in Buccleuch Street in Garnet Hill, dressed in a brown coat and kilt, but never returned home. Earlier. Betty had helped her grandmother, Isabel Alexander, make the beds in the house and then went down to a local grocer to help him in his shop. Later, she returned to her grandmother with some flowers before going out to play. Isabel said at the time, She was whistling and singing. That was the last time I saw her. She was a lovable, sweet little girl who used to talk to anyone who spoke to her but would not wander away of her own accord. When Betty failed to return home for her evening meal, her anxious mother Barbara set out to find her, but without success. A search party was formed by friends and neighbours, and then the police were alerted. Later that night, at about 8pm, Barbara Alexander thought she heard her daughter shouting, Mummy! Mummy! from a lane which runs between Bucluse Street and West Graham Street. But when she searched, there was no sign of her daughter. Had she just imagined it? After news of the murder was made public, people contacted the police, claiming that they had seen the girl in various parts of the city, but each sighting drew a blank. One woman even thought she'd spotted Betty in Woolworths and Sucky Hall Street just before closing time, but a search of the store uncovered nothing. It was yet another false alarm. There would be many of them to come. At the local primary school, The headmaster, alongside grim-faced detectives, told pupils of Betty's disappearance and asked them to come forward if they had seen her. However, because of their age, police were unable to learn too much from their information. One of the senior officers involved in the hunt for the killer gave an early indication of the scale of the investigation. He explained, Teams of police, policewomen and detectives are on special patrols and we have inquired into hundreds of reports by people claiming to have seen Betty. Disused air-raid shelters were checked for signs of the missing girl. Parks were searched, and sections of the 4th and Clyde Canal dragged. But there was still no trace of little Betty. The girl's photograph was posted on every police box and wall of every police station in the city. Beat cops carried them in their notebooks in case they came across Betty during a patrol. Local mothers searched Garnet Hill in the surrounding area at night using torches. One of the mums, a neighbour of the Alexander family, said, Most of these women have been neglecting their homes to help look for Betty. I've spent over 16 hours going over back courts and closes in the district and will go on looking until she's found. But the little girl was closer to her home than the searchers realised. At about 2pm on Friday October the 10th, Agnes Hunter, a 55-year-old cleaner at the Royal Hospital for Sick Children's Dispensary in West Graham Street, went out to the backyard to clean some carpets. She found little Betty Alexander lying on a small flight of steps, leading to the dispensary door. Betty was dead, and had been for some time, having been strangled. She may even have been lying there since she went missing. A distressed Agnes said at the time, it was a terrible sight. I want to forget it as quickly as possible. Detectives reckoned Betty had been killed elsewhere and then taken into the locked yard over the wall or a gate. During their initial search of the area at the time of her disappearance, police searchers had passed within a yard of her body but had not gone into the dispensary as the gate had been locked. After speaking with the family, detectives came up against yet another mystery. When Betty had gone out, Her grandmother had put a chrome fastening pin on her kilt skirt. But when she was found, the chrome pin had been replaced by an older, plainer brass pin. However, no one could tell the police who had done it or why. The police now had a major job to fill the gap of nearly 72 hours between Betty's disappearance and when her body was found. A spokesman said at the time, We have established the movements of the girl until 5.30 on Tuesday night, and, to a lesser degree, her movements until shortly after six o'clock, but after that, no one seems to have seen her. The murder scene was near where Mum Barbara claimed to have heard Betty calling to her on the Tuesday she disappeared. As news of the discovery spread, hundreds of horrified local people began to gather at either end of the lane. An older local man told reporters that he knew Betty Alexander and had heard no screams or any noises in the lane. He said, I saw Betty myself at about 5pm on the night she went missing. She was playing with my granddaughter. Jack Alexander, the girl's father, was called to the dispensary and had the grim task of identifying his daughter's battered body. The murder of such a young child... The first child killing in Glasgow for 30 years had horrified the city. Around 2,000 uniformed officers and 120 detectives were drafted into the murder investigation from across the force. Forensic experts went over the crime scene inch by inch, searching for clues which could lead them to the killer. The main gate into the dispensary backyard was taken for examination, as was a wooden gate leading to the lane. The girl's clothes were also examined for any traces which could link them to the killer. Sections of the stone steps where her body was found were also tested for clues. Senior officers believed the killer may well have been local. They felt that only a local person would have known that no one would think to search there, buying them time. The man leading the hunt, Chief Superintendent Gilbert McKilrick, said, No particular man is being sought. In fact." We cannot even be certain at the moment that it was a man. No possibility is being overlooked. A police Alsatian dog called Skipper was given some of Betty's clothes to sniff and hopefully pick up a trail, but no joy. Parts of Garnet Hill were at that time the city's bedsit land, with a transient population living in guesthouses and other temporary accommodation, which made inquiries difficult. The police managed to speak to most of the people who were staying there at the time, but some of them proved hard to track down, making the investigation even more tortuous. By Monday, October the 13th, police officers had spoken to almost 4,000 people in connection with the murder. These statements would be checked by senior officers for some clue or admission that would lead them to the killer. They even visited psychiatric hospitals to see if any patients had been released around the time Betty disappeared. Then came a breakthrough in the hunt for her killer, or so police believed. Experts had found a fingerprint on the wooden door, taken from the spot near where her body had been dumped. Police records were checked, but there was no match. That suggested that the killer was not a criminal, or at least not known to the police. Other, more drastic steps had to be taken. The print was the only real clue they had, apart from unconfirmed sightings. The City of Glasgow police then announced that every man over 17 in the Garnet Hill area was going to be fingerprinted. Detective Chief Superintendent Gilbert McKilrick said, We are investigating the possibility of trying to connect up part of a fingerprint which had been found in the vicinity of where the body was discovered. With that end in view... We are asking for the cooperation of all males in the vicinity in letting their fingerprints be taken. This was the first time in Scotland that such a move had been made. A written assurance that all records would be destroyed was made by Glasgow's Chief Constable Malcolm McCulloch in a bid to encourage as many men as possible to come forward. His statement was sent to all local men and also reprinted in newspapers. It read as follows. The Chief Constable appeals to you as a male of 17 years of age or over to allow your fingerprints to be taken. You may refuse to have your fingerprints taken, but nevertheless, the Chief Constable hopes that he will have your full cooperation and gives you an undertaking that these fingerprints will only be used in connection with this inquiry and will be destroyed as soon as they have served their purpose. As the prints flooded in, Special teams of officers began the laborious task of comparing them with the print found in the gate. Unfortunately, none matched, and the trail ran cold and the investigation stalled. Throughout the inquiry, there were several false alarms and false dawns in the search for the killer. A 69-year-old man that lived in Buclew Lane near the murder scene and some of his family spent 13 hours being questioned. At one stage... Believing the killer had been arrested, an unruly mob had gathered outside the police station where they were being held, which the police had to disperse using batons. After being released, the man, his wife and their son took the unusual step of giving a press conference at their solicitor's office to quash rumours that they were the prime suspects. Both the man and the son said they didn't know Betty, but the man's wife said that she had spoken to her once. The police also confirmed that they had been eliminated from their inquiries. Meanwhile, forensic officers had discovered black and white dog hairs on Betty's clothes. Detectives carried out new door-to-door inquiries, this time looking for a dog with a similar coat. However, this line of inquiry petered out when they discovered that Betty had merely patted the animal shortly before she disappeared. Another lead which fizzled out took two senior detectives to Inverness to interview a man who had suddenly left his lodgings in Garnet Hill the day after Betty Alexander disappeared. But the man was able to give them a satisfactory explanation, and the detective returned home, no further forward. Other such inquiries continued. The police traced a man who had been seen running near Bacloo Lane shortly after Betty's body was found. He was interviewed, but was also able to give a satisfactory explanation of his actions. The inquiry slowly lost momentum. Not only did the police not know who killed Betty, they didn't know if it was a man acting alone or with an accomplice. The fact that it could have been a woman or an older child was not ruled out either. They didn't know how the killer got Betty into the dispensary yard or even why that particular spot was picked to dump her body. But there was one key mystery which was still baffling detectives why was the shiny chrome pin she had been wearing on her kilt changed for another one? None of the girl's family had seen the pin before, so who had put it there? Betty was buried in Cadder Cemetery to the north of the city on Monday, October the 13th, with the funeral service being held in her home. As the little white coffin was carried from the building by Dad Jack and three family members, Two senior policemen standing on the pavement outside saluted. More than 5,000 people stood silently in the streets to watch the cortege go past, bringing traffic in the city to a standstill. People had come from far and near to pay their respects. Some of them had gathered for hours beforehand. Over 50 wreaths from people across Glasgow, mainly strangers, were sent to the Alexanders' home. There was also a floral cross bearing the inscription, to Bunkum: our dear wee Betty, from Daddy and Mummy. Eventually, like all such inquiries where there had been no arrest, the investigation was wound down and the officers moved to other duties. In a 1955 interview with the Glasgow Times, Betty's parents, Barbara and Jack Alexander, called for the police to reopen the case They said they thought they had seen a man with a young girl over his shoulder get into a brown van or ambulance in Buclew Lane on the day she disappeared, but the vehicle was never traced. They told the Times they had seen a similar van back in the area and had informed the police. Jack added, We won't rest until whoever murdered our little girl is caught. In 2012, it was reported that the murder was being given a cold case review by Strathclyde Police. It was a chance for officers to use modern forensic techniques on the original evidence to see if they could finally identify a suspect. Such techniques had worked in the past and would work again in the future. At the time, forensic psychologist Ian Stephen, who advised on the TV crime dramas Cracker and Prime Suspect, confirmed there were various methods they could use to get a breakthrough. He said, Everything will be looked at again using new methods including DNA analysis and offender profiling. Profiling only began with the FBI in America in the 1970s. In the 1950s, they just wouldn't have had that information. And he agreed with the original police conclusion that the most likely killer was a local person. He said, In the early 50s, travel and movement around the country wasn't as flexible as it is today so they are far more likely to be looking for someone within the Garnet Hill area. Betty still rests in Cadder Cemetery, and her death remains a mystery to this day. Despite the best efforts of the police in 1952, they were unable to solve the case. Then there was no DNA or CCTV to consult, no mobile phones or computers to check. The fact that Betty's body was not found for three days was lost time in the investigation. She would be in her mid-seventies now, possibly a grandmother having had a family of her own and looking forward to a peaceful retirement after a rich and fulfilling life. It's also possible that her killer could still be alive, although probably now in their eighties. To this day, it is one of the biggest unsolved murders of the city's past, and sadly, with the passage of time, Likely to remain so for the foreseeable future. This podcast was brought to you by the Glasgow Times. With a digital subscription, you can access our exclusive, insightful and trustworthy local news from just £2 for two months. We are also currently offering 20% off our annual rate with the code GLASGOPOD22. This offers for new subscribers only and is only available with the promotional code given in this podcast. Subscriptions will renew at the standard rates unless cancelled.